Okay, so um, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, let me hear some of the things that you came up with. Yeah, Jay's walking around with some note sheets. You're going to want those this morning just to write down some stuff. Um, what are some things you would say, some things that you would include in your speech if you were giving a farewell address? What? How much you love them? We hope you can say that. Depends on what day you're giving the address, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? Okay. Love God with all your heart. Good. Anything else? I'm getting yours last, James, because it's good. To do what? Okay, good. Always live as if it's your last moment. I think I've heard a country song like that. Something about that. Something about parachutes. I don't know. Probably not. Anything else? Yes. Okay. Although you'll grieve, be happy. That's when people look at you like, huh? What? Anything else? Just keep swimming. I like it. Just keep swimming. Anybody else have that in your list? Anybody have something that sounded like that, but that's cooler and you wish you'd have said that? Just keeps. I love that. Phil, do you want to share your nugget of wisdom? It's not spiritual at all, but it's really important. If you're into fantasy football, that's really important. Never take a. Three of us are into fantasy football. That's good. It's good to know. Or draft Matt Castle with the first pick of any draft. What else? We need something to rebound. Always keep a pillowcase in your pillow. Okay. That's a good one. Anybody else? Are we ready to go to James with the last one? Go ahead. You had two, yes. That's good. Did y'all hear that over there? I like that a lot. Life is tough. It's tougher when you're stupid. Anybody married to somebody that knows that's true? Because <laughs> I know it's not two of you, just the people you're married to. Okay, so I'm going to give you the big idea. First thing, right up front. Now, if you're new to the, to the gathering, you've never been here, or this is your first time, or maybe first time back in a while, um, we do these things called big ideas, and we do them because I know that by the end of me talking, you won't remember anything I've said. Okay, so if you get this, you pretty much got it, all right? Usually, sometimes I do it at the very end to make you listen, but today I'm going to give it to you right up front, so you've got the whole message once you fill in these two blanks. It's at the top of your sheet, the big idea, here it is. It's easier to go when you know. It's easier to go when you know. I'm not sure what went through your mind when I said that, so let's clear it up a little bit. Um, first of all, we're not talking about going to the bathroom. Although it is easier to go when you know, right? Um, I can tell the story because Will's not here. Will is our sleepwalker in the house. And one night we were sitting on the couch watching the news and we just saw Will walk through the den and go to the kitchen. We thought that was interesting. I'm the one that gets up because I usually have a conversation with Will when he sleepwalks. Do you ever talk to people that are talking in their sleep? It's fun, isn't it? You just say anything you want. They'll talk back to you. It's great. So I turned the corner to talk to him and I saw him. He was at the fridge and he was doing this and holding the fridge door like that. <laughs> and I said, uh, Will, 
what's what's up? You hungry? I gotta go. I gotta go. It's like not in the refrigerator, <laughs> right? It's easier to it's easier to go when you know. Anybody ever walked into the wrong bathroom? Raise your hands higher. We want to see who you are, so we don't ask you for directions. Um, it's easier to go when you know we're not <clears throat> we're not talking about the bathroom, um, and we're not even talking about me leaving or you leaving. Um, all we're talking about is this. There is a point when we will say goodbye to people, and it's easier to say goodbye when you know what you want to talk about. Have you ever had a conversation, when you got done with the conversation, five minutes down the road, you thought, man, I wish I could go back and say that again, okay? So in Acts chapter 20, that's where we're going to be, you can turn there, Paul is going to begin kind of like a farewell tour. Um, the next, we've been in Acts for like ever, it seems like, and it's going to end quickly. We've been kind of walking through Acts and just kind of asking, hey, what did they do in the early days of the church? They were about 120. We've been about 120. So if we do those things, will God do today what he did then? And we've just kind of taken our time getting there. Now we're in Acts chapter 20, and the next few chapters are going to fly, okay? Because in this moment, Paul's going to say, what we're going to read today, he's going to call some elders together. He's going to give them a farewell address. He's basically saying goodbye, and he's going to go on tour, and he's going to start making these stops at these places. He's headed to Jerusalem, and all along the way, he's going to, get, he's going to go on trial. And guess what's going to happen when he goes on trial? It's going to get appealed. It's going to get appealed again. Have you ever heard anything like this ever happening? Trials taking forever. We, how many of you saw last night? Um, they came back with a verdict, and so what it's been like, over a year. I mean, it takes a while, and that's what we're going to see. So a lot of these chapters are going to repeat what happened in the previous chapter and the previous chapter because that's just, law is boring, okay? And so he's eventually going to get to Jerusalem. All that starts right now. He's going to get some elders together. He's going to give a farewell address. And so that's what we're talking about today. It's easier to go when we know. We don't like to say things like, um, I guess, I think, I hope, we say things, when you're saying goodbye to somebody, you know it's the last time you're going to talk to them. You say things like, I know this. I want you to know this. I have no doubt. You don't say, kind of love God. You say, love God. The Bible might help. You say, read the Bible. You don't say, maybe take a kicker in the third round. You say, don't take a kicker until the last round. You get real emphatic. We don't want to be wishy-washy. We don't want to squander the last moments with a bunch of worthless stuff. We want to say things that matter. I've got a scene from Forrest Gump that illustrates this perfectly. Okay, Forrest. I'm okay.
If I'd have known this was going to be the last time me and Bubba was going to talk, I'd have thought of something better to say. Hey, Bubba. Hey, Forrest. Forrest. What just happened? You got shot. Then Bubba said something I won't ever forget. I want to go home. Bubba was my best good friend. And even I know that ain't something you can find just around the corner. Bubba was gonna be a shrimp and boat captain, but instead he died right there by that river in Vietnam. What he said was if I'd have known that was the last time we were gonna talk, I'd have thought of something better to say. So the point here is farewell messages. The last time you speak to people, they matter. Why did he remember what Bubba said? Because it was the last time that they talked. Final moments are sacred. We would be wise to lean in a little bit closer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the end of Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17. Because Paul calls together the elders of the Ephesian church. He says we're going to have a final moment. And he shares with them four things that he knew. These are things that he knew for sure. No worrying, no wondering. He knew these. And he shares them. So here we're going to lean in. We're going to listen to them. And we're going to see if we can learn from them as well. Number one, the first thing that Paul knew, verses 18 and 19, Paul knew how to live. Here's what he says to the Ephesian elders. In verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. So here's the first thing he did. And just jot these down underneath number one. He lived with integrity. I mean, that's hard to do. Unlike a lot of people, Paul lived like an open book in front of these men. He reminded the leaders that they knew how he had lived. I love the phrase, the whole time. Now, I'm not going to say I'm like that. I want to be, right? But we're kind of a private society. I mean, we go, hey, y'all come over anytime, right? That's what we say in the South. But if somebody really did show up at your door and knock, you'd be like, Oh, shoot, man, we're throwing stuff under the bed, closing doors. Like, when then we'd open and go, hey, it's great to have you here. And we'd like for you to come and stand in this little square foot area and don't move. I'll bring you tea, right? But don't go back. Don't open that closet and don't open that closet. Paul, he was saying, look, you've seen how I lived the whole time. Let me make this statement, okay? This is just... This is critical for our area, Stanley County. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had some pretty devastating news about church leaders in our area, people that we know. The men are men. Men fall. Men fail. But here's what I want you to know, okay? When we hear those stories, if we're normal, sometimes the first thing that goes through our head is, I thought I knew them. Where'd that come from? I can't believe that because I know them. But the reality of it is this. And so many times in leadership, we don't live, and I am a leader, we don't live like, we, like an open book. Paul did. Do you understand that? I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm just saying that's just the reality. And what blows my mind about this verse is that Paul called leaders together, and he said, listen, I don't have skeletons. 
You know how I have lived with you the whole time. He lived with integrity. The men never had to wonder, do I really know Paul? And man, that's, our, that's the goal. The goal of leadership is to live like that. That no one would have to, have to wonder. I, well, I mean, y'all might wonder about me for other reasons, right? Like mentally and stuff. But, you know, you shouldn't have to wonder, is he really who he says he is? These men did not. Paul lived with integrity. Paul lived with humility. We know this from what he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Paul said. When he wrote that, he said, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Verse 4, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude, Philippians 2.5, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus awesome passage of scripture have you ever been in walmart and seen a parent scold a child for doing something that the parent was doing don't use that kind of language you bleep, 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 bleep. what sometimes it's so easy to say a command but not be living the command is that right i mean parents do you ever do that do you ever hate it when your parents when your kids look at you and go well that's not what you do oh God, Paul didn't just write Philippians chapter 2. He didn't just put words down and send a letter. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, follow me as I follow the example of Jesus. So here's a leader who, he's got integrity, he's very humble, he lives with humility, he practices Philippians chapter 2, hey, don't think of yourself first, think of somebody else, and as soon as that got read in the church and somebody went, oh, wait a second, we know Paul, he's just saying that, Paul's like, mm-mm-mm, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. He lived with pain. We're not necessarily talking about backaches here, <clears throat> but who's got a backache? Anybody? Yes. So uh, you ever live with chronic pain? No fun. But Paul's talking about emotional pain. He says, I lived with tears. I lived with great humility and with tears. He mentions living humbly. Have you ever asked the Lord to humble you? Bad prayer. It's like, it's right up there next to patience. Don't ever ask God for patience. Don't ever ask God for humility. You'll just get those naturally as you live, okay? <clears throat> you ask God to make you humble. It's amazing the circumstances that he will use to make you humble. Paul understood this. Let me just read this quick. I'm going to read you a lot of scripture. Just jot this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. This is the man who learned how to be humble. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. We're not talking about fake eyelashes, okay? 40 lashes is this awful weapon that had broken pottery and rocks, and they would whip you with it and rip out chunks of your skin. They would only whip you 39 times because they thought 40 might kill you. How nice, right? So he got that five times. I'm not doing the math well, but that's five times 39. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. This is sounding like a Dr. Seuss, green eggs and ham, but would you eat them in a train? In danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've gone hunger. I've, I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, he's like, on top of all that, I face the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and do I not feel weak? Who is letting us in? Do I not inwardly burn? Here's the point. You go through that, you tend to come out a little humble. That's how he became humble. So I'm only cautioning you. Don't go home today and say, dear God, please make me humble. Because you'll come back next week like, oh, man, I'm a lot more humble today. What happened? Well, I was just walking in the park in Oakburn and I got attacked by a bear. Weird, but I'm a lot more humble. Never know what's going to happen. Don't do that. He lived with integrity. He lived with humility. He lived with pain. Last thing, he lived with persecution. We're talking about Paul. He knew how to live. He lived with persecution. Paul said that he survived plots from religious leaders. Paul was one of them at one point. His testimony was he was a religious leader, so his own people turned on him. Have you ever had a close friend turn on you? So Paul understood what betrayal was like. He was honest about it. I love how he says here it was a severe test. And what got tested? His integrity and his humility. The minute you step out to live with integrity and humility, you can expect to be severely tested often by the people who are the most religious around you. Paul knew how to live. Second thing, Paul knew how to preach. Now, right away, I just said Paul knew how to preach. And so all of you kicked back and went, thank goodness I can take this next point off because I'm not a preacher, right? But you are a preacher. Maybe you're not going to sit up here and preach someday, but you preach everywhere you go. Okay? Paul knew how to preach. Here's how he did it. First, verse 22, he says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, only that I finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. First and most importantly, Paul knew how to be led by the Spirit. He knew how to follow. He was led by the Spirit, compelled. Who knows the definition of compelled? It is what happens after you eat Mexican. That's compelled. Okay? I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just saying that's what this word means. Compelled means I cannot hold it in. You kind of throw out there what you're full of. That's compelled. When he says I'm compelled by the Spirit, there's a verse in Jeremiah that says, I have a fire in me. I cannot hold it in. I am weary of trying to hold it in. That's being compelled. Have you ever been compelled? Well, yeah, when I have to go to the bathroom. Have you ever been? You just got to go. You just got to say it. You've got to say this. I've, if I don't say this, I will die. That's compelled. Are you compelled by the Spirit? Are you compelled to talk about Jesus like Paul was compelled to talk about Jesus? He was compelled by the Spirit, and then he was led into danger. And we're talking about how Paul knew how to follow. He's led by the Spirit. He's led into danger. In how many cities... I feel like I'm on a game show. In how many cities would Paul face hardships? Every. 
He says every, in every city. Who led him to the cities? God, the Spirit, which blows my mind. Matthew 4, 1, you don't have to turn to it. It just says that Jesus was led into the desert by the devil? No, by the Spirit. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days to fight the devil. If we're only willing to be a Christian in the good times, we will not know how to follow. Paul knew how to follow. He was led by the Spirit into danger, but he was led with a purpose. So what was the purpose of Paul's life? He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish. Raise your hand if you're a good finisher. A few of you, and you're so humble about it. Now, if you're a type A, 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 A person, and you're a good finisher, you're like, I'm a finisher, right? And I can teach you how to be a finisher, too. Just move over and let me finish for you. <laughs> Most of us, not good finishers. A lot of us, really good starters, but we're not good finishers. He was led with a purpose. The purpose of Paul's life was to finish the task. And what was the task? To be the best of the best of the best. No, his task was to testify to the gospel of God's grace. His whole purpose of his life was just to point people to Jesus, period. It's like, I'm led by the Spirit into danger with a purpose, just to point people to Jesus. And I don't know how you are, but I point people to Jesus a whole lot better when I'm in danger. Like, when I'm on a cruise ship just chilling, I'm like, man, this is some good lemonade. Jesus, he loves you. This is some good lemonade. The sun is awesome. I'm going to go run. I'm going to go swim. But let that cruise ship start sinking. Change it from, like, any carnival cruise ship to Titanic. And I'm not drinking lemonade anymore, am I? And I'm not talking about going running, and I'm not thinking about the next excursion because the next excursion is survival. And I'm telling people about Jesus because that ship is going down and I'm on it. You're no different. I'd like to say that we're great preachers in good times, but we're the best preacher in danger. And if you're willing to let the Spirit of God lead you into dangerous places, you will find that you become a fantastic preacher of the gospel. You will point people to Jesus all the time. Mainly because they'll say things to you like, how are you doing this? Like, you should be freaking out right now. How are you on the Titanic still playing a violin? Like, Do you not know that this is going down and you'll find yourself saying things, I don't know how I'm doing this and smiling. I think it's Jesus. I'm, right now, I'm sawing my arm off. I'm not really playing the violin. Just, you, see, you see that? You're like, he is not a violinist at all. He's just sawing his arm off. So Paul, he knew how to live. He knew how to preach. Here's the third thing he knew how to do. He knew how to, I'm sorry, he knew how to preach, and he knew how to follow. Did I just totally skip a whole thing? I did, didn't I? Man, I messed you up bad. Number three was Paul knew how to follow, but just make that number two, and we'll take number two and make it number three. Number two is Paul knew how to preach. I'm so sorry. Verses 20 to 21. Paul, that Paul knows how to preach. This Paul, still learning. 
I told you that Paul knew how to preach, and I told you the whole thing about Paul knew how to follow. Anyway, it's okay. I'm going to clear it up for you right now. Paul knew how to preach, verses 20 through 21. God, it was terrible. What's wrong with me? You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So real quick, here's how Paul preached. He preached boldly. He has not hesitated to preach anything. Hesitation can reveal a lack of desire. Okay? That makes sense? Here's an illustration that you'll always remember. Wendy came to me one time, and she said, Paul, would you like to go shopping with me? And I went, yes. Now, what did I really say? No. And she knew it, and she did not like the answer. She said, no, just forget it. And then it was like, no, 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 I really want to go. I really want to go. I really want to go. No, 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 you don't want to go. No, forget it. No, I really, really got really, no, no, you don't, no, 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 no. My hesitation betrayed me, right? You've done the same thing. Hesitation can reveal a lack of desire. Paul preached boldly. He never hesitated to preach anything. He preached practically. I love that. He said, I have preached everything that would be helpful to you. He wasn't one of those preachers who just liked to hear himself talk. He preached on Sunday what people could use on Monday. And I love that. Because we've spent way too much time in church kind of going, that's really cool, I think. I don't even know what you said, but awesome. What do I do with it? He preached what would be helpful on Monday. He preached publicly. It says that right there, that would be temples and synagogues. We've seen that throughout Acts. He preached privately, house to house. And uh, my favorite is he preached consistently. Do you know people who preach in King James? Like they get the preacher voice. When I say preacher voice, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like suddenly they just get deep and they start. It, I, he was just consistent. Paul said same message of repentance and faith in Jesus no matter who was in the crowd. So we've seen throughout Acts that Paul used different methods, right? Depending on who he would talk to, he used different methods to communicate the message. But the message was always the same. Always Jesus. Paul was not seeker sensitive. He was Savior sensitive. He pointed to Jesus. Always. Paul knew how to preach to the Jews or to the Gentiles. Verse 21 says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So whether they're Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, religious, non-religious, church, unchurched, Paul's message was always Jesus. Period. He knew how to preach. He knew how to follow. We've already done that. And then number four, he knew how to leave. So Paul knew how to live. He knew how to preach. He knew how to follow. And last, he knew how to leave. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody come to your house and they didn't know how to leave? I, I didn't find the cartoon because it's so old. But does anybody here, did you like the cartoon strip Far Side? Anybody Farside people, you know what I'm talking about? Um, if, you, if you're of the generation that does not know Farside, you would just need to go home and Google it. And just If you're like a weird sense of humor kind of guy, you'll love it. But one of my favorite Farsides had a couple sitting on the couch, and it had a couple that was laying on the floor in the living room. And it just says at the bottom, in an attempt to get the Smiths to leave, the Joneses faked death. <laughs> at some point... 
it's good to know how to leave, right? So Paul knew how to leave, and here's the way he left. Verses 25 to 32. Let me read it to you, then we'll just walk through it very quickly. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So we know this is the farewell address. Verse 26, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Just real quick, three points just to kind of break that down. Paul knew how to leave. First, he left with a clear conscience, verses 25 to 27. Paul left knowing that he had done what he was sent to do. Because it's hard to leave when things are undone. Like, we just went away for three days. To, I went to do the wedding ceremony for my nephew. I got to do it in a castle, which is awesome. But I left with our grass this high. I, I mean, I got the weeding done, which was fun, because I have an electric weed eater, and it was stormy. But anyway, that's... I was going to leave for good, wasn't I? But I got that done, but I couldn't do the mowing because even when, if it's dry for like two days, it's still so wet that if you sit on your mower and start going, you're sinking into the ground, right? So we got back. I mean, it's hard to leave. I don't like the mother grass anyway, but it's hard to leave seeing that. It's undone. I just like to leave. We like to leave our house done. So when you come back, you can just come back, order pizza, chill on the couch, and then like go to bed and hope you're not brain dead the next day. But we, we come back and pull in, and it's like I'm pulling down the road, and I'm just going, oh, God, please, please, just have mowed my grass. You're God. You can do it. Just push. And while he was at it, he could have seeded it and made it green. That would have been cool, too, right? But no, we come down and pull in the driveway, and it's, it's not here anymore. It's here. Because it apparently rained a lot while we were gone. Shocker, right? It's hard to leave when things are undone. Paul knew that. He left with a clear conscience. When we leave things undone, it leads to regret. It leads to sorrow. It leads to guilt. Let me ask you this question just to honestly think about. How many of us will cry when we stand before Jesus and hear men scream at us for not telling them about Jesus? Paul, in a bizarre, amazing bold statement says something that I don't know any of us in here could ever say. I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Are you? Am I innocent of the blood of all men? Paul says, I have preached the kingdom to all of you. He could leave with a clear conscience. Paul was able to stand tall because he knew it felt good to finish the good news for those of us that do not finish things is that God is a finishing God. Philippians 1.6, he is faithful to finish what he starts in us. That's good news. Paul left with a clear conscience. He left with a clear warning. Verse 28 to 31, he said, guard yourselves. 
And then he said, guard the flock. Now, we talked earlier, right, about leaders that sometimes there's a lapse of integrity. Here's, this is a really good practical advice, okay, because God's going to call all of you to be leaders at some point. Don't guard the flock and then guard yourself. Guard yourself and then guard the flock. See, I'm not called to guard you first. I'm called to guard me first, to guard my family well. And then we guard the flock. It's bad when you get those things backwards. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. Guard the flock. And here's the part that gets hard for, for leaders. We're not just guarding any old flock. Verse, verse 28 says, be shepherds of the church of God. And the flock is just another word for the church of God. It means sheep. But which church, which flock, the one that he bought with his own blood? That's a serious warning. We're supposed to guard the church from outside attacks. I know that after I leave, verse 29, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So we get to get like rods or let's just do it in southern language. We get guns and we get to shoot people that try to mess with you. That's awesome. That makes everybody want to be a leader. I'd like to be a pastor just to hold a gun, please. That's the fun part of the job. You're a jerk. Leave my church alone. But the hard part is the next warning. Verse 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw the disciples after them. We're supposed to guard the flock from outside attacks, which are like the wolves. We're supposed to guard them from internal attacks, and that is a lot harder to do. It's easy to see a wolf, right? It's a lot harder to see people on the inside who distort the truth. They just use it a little bit, distort it a little bit, make it fit their own purpose, and it sounds so good, and we know them, and you're so sweet, and yeah, yeah, but they're not, they're killing it. We're supposed to guard against that. Guard yourselves. Guard the flock. The clear warning in verse 31, it says, so be on your guard. Can I just paraphrase it? Man up, leaders. Man up and bear the burden of being a leader of his people. I never stop warning you, each of you, night and day with tears for three years. That's the price of leadership. For three years. People ask all the time, so Paul, you're a pastor, what do you do? I hate that question. Well, I play Candy Crush. Vicariously through Wendy, who plays on my Facebook account. I do a lot of fantasy football. For an hour on Saturday nights, I prepare a message. And then I deliver it on Sunday. I hate that question. So what do you do as a pastor? So here's my answer. What I do as a pastor? I bear burdens. That's what I do. I, I, get, I bear your burden. We have conversations, and I hear what God's doing in your life, and what he's doing in your family, what you're going through, good and bad, and I walk on and go, God, the burden is hard. That's what leadership does. For day and night, three years, he never stopped warning them with tears. And then last, he left a clear blessing. Which I love. It's a great way to leave. Verses 32 through 35. He put them in the hands of God. He pointed them to the grace of God. 
which builds and enriches us. And he reminded them to serve the people of God. He left them with a clear blessing. He put them in the hands of God. He pointed them to the grace of God. He reminded them to serve the people of God. He said, give, verse 35, give more than you take. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So here we've got to land this thing, okay? I'll give you something to wrap your brain around here. Here's our big idea. It's easier to go when you know. So how do we live this out? Two practical ways. Number one, pray for your leaders. When we get done today, in a minute, I'm going to have our elders, because you have elders here. He's talking to elders. He called together the elders of the Ephesian church, and he said, I want you to know these things. So everything that we just read, everything that we just talked about, and you listened to it and went, God, that's tough. I don't know if I want to do that. Preach all the time? Ugh. Live with integrity? Ugh. I mean, the good news is, if you're not an elder in a church, you can at least kind of kick back and go, well, that's not for me. That's for the leaders because he's talking to leaders. But if you're in a church that has leaders, you better be praying for them. It's not the cushy job to be the elder of a church because the elder of a church is guarding over a church that Jesus bought with his own blood. Like, that means we get to give an account to Jesus. Like when you died for them, I didn't really care about them. I don't want to say that, right? So you need to pray for your leaders all of us can take something good away from this passage even if you're not a follower of jesus there's life principles in here but don't forget that this is spoken to leaders they cannot get drunk on power they are called to live out what we read we have the burden of caring for a body that jesus died for and the only real qualification to being an elder out of this passage is a very simple question will you give your life for the people that jesus died for Number two, another way for you to live this out, and it was already mentioned earlier when we talked about what we would put in our farewell address. Know that goodbyes are inevitable. They will come one way or the other. Our job is to live in such a way that we are ready for them. Know what you know so that you can say it when it's time. Live with the goodbye in mind. Let me just read this last passage, and then we'll wrap this up. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 15, this is my whole life verse when I was a youth pastor, all those years. This is Peter talking. Let me just pick it up in verse 12. He says, so I will always remind you of these things. First Peter 1, 12, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. It's obvious that he's saying goodbye, right? You got that. He's getting ready to die. And so here's what he says in verse 15. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. The goodbye is coming at some point. I'm not leaving. You're not leaving. But at some point, we won't see each other. The goodbye is coming. We've got to prepare now for that moment. In the fall of 2003, Thanksgiving morning, I drove up. And told my mom, happy Thanksgiving, before Wendy and I loaded up the kids and went down to Columbia to see her family for Thanksgiving. It's the last time I talked to my mom. I didn't know that. Wouldn't it be great if you knew? I, mean, I felt like Forrest Gump a little bit. Like, well, if I'd have known that was the last time I was going to talk to my mom, I would have probably said some things different. Instead of, happy Thanksgiving, don't get too fat on the turkey. See you, see you tomorrow. But I didn't know. 
So the last moment came and left. I didn't know. Do I have regret? Heck no. Because I lived knowing that goodbye would come at some point. She already knew all the stuff I would have said because I'd already said it, just not in that moment. The goodbyes are going to come. Live now knowing that. And make it your aim to know these things, to live, to preach, to follow, to leave in such a way that the people you love the most never forget what matters the most. We'll all have to go at some point. It's easier to go when you know that you've done those things.